0: following audio is from the Anglican Church, Caroline Springs. For more information about the church, go to taccs.org.au. Dear Lord, we thank you for the provision of your scriptures, for your word, for your witness, for your truth. We pray today that sinners come before you and will be saved. We pray that people are saved today because of your truth. Amen. Let's kick this off. Is Jesus God? Is Jesus God? That is the question that John 5 is consumed with. The question that he is obsessed with. Is Jesus God? We live in a culture that loves subjective truth and hates exclusive claims. We say things like, you can't tell me what to do. You can't tell me what to believe. I just have to live my life and do it whatever I want and whatever I do is right. In our culture, nobody is wrong and everybody is right. But the problem with that is it makes everybody wrong. Subjective truth has a fallacy there and it comes... It comes into contact with Jesus and has a huge problem because he makes too many claims, too many claims to be subjective. But our culture, it rejects that. It just says Jesus is a man, Jesus is some guy, Jesus is just a man. And all religions lead to the same path. You can believe whatever you want, it doesn't matter. The Dalai Lama summed this up in a recent interview. He said, all religions are like medication. It doesn't matter which one you take because some people need different medication. Some people need blue pills. Some people need red pills. you just got to take your pill. All religions are the same. That kind of thinking, subjective truth, it finds a problem in Jesus. Because like I said, he, fa- he makes too many exclusive claims. And to be honest, the question, is Jesus God? It leads to too many conclusions. Because if what Jesus says is true, if Jesus is God, then that has far-reaching consequences and far-reaching implications. If what he said is false, then I've wasted my life in church. We're wasting our time right now. If what Jesus says is false, if Jesus isn't God... Church doesn't matter. None of this matters. But if he's right, if Jesus is God, we've wasted our life doing anything other than bringing glory to his name. If he's right. The question, what do you make of Jesus Christ, of whether he is God or man, is the most important question you could ask yourself. So that's what we're going to confront this morning. Is Jesus god john 5 is an interesting book it's where the proverbial really starts to hit the fan for jesus before this he's just a guy doing some crazy things on the outskirts here the pharisees the religious leaders they haven't really taken a big interest in him yet but this is where the story picks up pace this is where the story really starts to take off John 5 is also interesting because it's cut in two. We have the, intre- the opening stanza and then the meat. John 5 is a sandwich. You sometimes have to get through the bread to the meat because the meat is the good bit. Apologies to vegetarians. Actually, I'll never apologize for meat. <laughs> so we read. We read in chapter 5 that there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, there was a pool, and there lay a multitude of invalids, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. And one man had been there for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he'd been there a long time, he turned to him and said, Do you want to be healed? This is a really interesting question because at this stage, the man doesn't know Jesus. Jesus is a no one. A nobody who comes off, off the streets and asks him this question. And I kind of empathize with the guy. Because when I, I was sick all through uh, my high school years, and random people would come to me and say, Have you tried this? Have you tried this miracle cure? Don't you want to be healed? And inside I'm like, Yes, yes, yes. But inside, I'm like, You guys, what are you doing? You're trying to be a jerk. This guy doesn't know Jesus. And Jesus just comes up to him and asks, Do you want to be healed? The man inside will be, of course, of course I want to be healed. Of course, don't you know I've been sick for 38 years? But his experience cruels his expectations. The experience of the last 38 years has dulled his expectations. So we read his response. Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Uh, One of the superstitions about this this chapter is that once a day, an angel would visit the pool in Bethesda and the water would ripple. And whoever got in first would be healed. No one else. The only reality that this man could think of that would be healed is by an act of God that he would race into the pool and be healed first that's the only reality so what does jesus say he says get up take your bed and walk no magic words no no hand motions no trick of the eye he says get up your bed take up your bed and walk and the man takes up his bed and walks jesus shows his power over health over the body a very miracle. But now we have the bit where the Pharisees start to get upset. This part where the story starts to pick up the pace. Because the day that Jesus performed this miracle was the Sabbath. Oh no. The Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered that the man who healed me, the man said to me, take up your bed and walk. The Jews are upset because Jesus performed a healing on the Sabbath. And it's quite interesting, this obsession they have with the Sabbath. Because on the the surface, the Sabbath is a good thing. God created the world in six days and on the seventh day he rested and he gave that day to mankind to rest. Rest is a good thing. You'll never say, hear me say anything other than that. Sleep is awesome. I love rest. But the Jews, these, these religious leaders, had turned the Sabbath into a curse. Rest is a good idea, but they'd made it a curse. It's similar to this. Imagine that your employer comes to you on a Thursday and says, Johnny, let's, let's call this man Johnny. Johnny, I've given you the day off on Friday. I want you to take some rest, but I've got some rules for you. Inside, Johnny's like, yeah, 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 rest, awesome. I'm really excited for this. But the employer says, all right, so you can take Friday off. In fact, I order you to take Friday off. But you can't watch television. You can't talk to your wife or your girlfriend or your kids. In fact, don't use your computer. Uh, Don't do any exercise. Um, Don't even sleep. For the whole of Friday, you just have to sit on the couch like this. And if you don't, you're fired. It's more like a curse than a gift. The Pharisees had taken a good gift of the Sabbath and they'd written these 39 articles about these things that you couldn't do. You can't take up your bed and walk. You can't heal people on the Sabbath. Jesus, you can't be the Savior on the Sabbath. You can't do all these things on the Sabbath because we say so. Because otherwise you can't rest. The Jewish leaders are upset about this. So we have this dialogue where they express to Jesus how upset they are. But the thing they lose sight in all of this is that a man had been healed. An act of God A miracle had occurred and they were more concerned that it had happened on the Sabbath when this man was meant to be resting than a man had been restored to life. They were put law above love. They put rules above relationships. This man had been healed and they were more concerned that it happened when they said it shouldn't. How dumb is that? That's idiotic. So they come to Jesus, and they confront him. And they say, why are you doing this on the Sabbath, Jesus? Jesus, what are you doing? Jesus, one never to offend people, offends the Pharisees a lot, (laughs) and says, my father is working until now, and I am working too. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father making himself equal with God. Jesus claims to be God. Is Jesus God? All throughout John 5, we have to confront this. Jesus thinks he's God. That's why he makes this argument. And the Pharisees get upset. They plan to kill him. And the interesting thing is that our cultures aren't that different. Actually, our cultures couldn't be more different except in this way. Have you ever tried to tell someone that Jesus is God? Have you ever tried to tell someone that Jesus is God? They hate that. They get upset. If Jesus is God, well, first of all, they can't be. If Jesus is God, that means they have to change things. If Jesus is God, it has huge implications. The Pharisees were upset just like our culture gets upset. When Jesus makes claims like this. So, what is Jesus saying here? Why is he God? He says God works on the Sabbath. The the Sabbath has been given to mankind for mankind to rest, to take it easy. But God doesn't rest, and I'm God. Therefore, I don't need to rest on the Sabbath. This is for you guys. P.S. I'm God. Jesus makes the claim that He is God. I can do what the, the Father can do because I am God as well. I am equal with the Father. Furthermore than that, Jesus just doesn't claim to be equal with God. He claims to be given a task. says right here that the Father has given the Son the task of judging the world. The Father will not judge the world but has given it to the Son. Verse 22. The Son is going to judge the earth. Jesus has been given a role as judge. Western culture is not that different. Western culture says I can believe whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. I can believe in Buddha. I can believe in Hinduism. I can believe in karma. I can believe in Allah, whatever. It doesn't matter. They're all the same. Jesus is saying, I'm the only one. I'm the only one. Through whom eternal life will come. He says that. Truly, truly, I say to you, Verse 24, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. Western culture says you can believe whatever you want. It doesn't matter. All roads lead to the same path. And Jesus says, it is a lie. You have been duped. You have been misled. There is only one path that leads to eternal life. There is only one path that leads to forgiveness of sins. There is only one path that leads to heaven, and it is the path that proclaims me loudly as the Son of God. It is the path that proclaims me as the one who was sent. There is only one path. This is a big claim. So Jesus calls his witnesses. Jesus calls his backups, the ones who are meant to say, yes, Jesus, you're right. Just like our society, you can't sign a bank statement and have your witness be yourself. You can't say, yes, Jimmy signed this right here, so-so Jimmy, that doesn't work. Jesus can't say, hi, I'm God, so-so me, signed Jesus. doesn't work. So Jesus has to call his witnesses. So who does he call? Verse 32. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know the testimony that he bears is true. you sent to John and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you might be saved. John the Baptist is the most famous man in Jerusalem at this stage. Jesus is a no-one. Jesus calls the biggest man to give witness for him. Back then, John the Baptist is part Gary Ablett, part Charles Spurgeon, part Mark Driscoll, part whoever you want. He is the man. He's the person everyone wants to roll with. person everyone wants to kick it with. John the Baptist is the man. The Pharisees loved him. He is the dude. And Jesus calls him to give an account. But in John 1, what does it say? When the religious leaders call John the Baptist to say who he is, he says, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the one you've been looking for. But when he says he sees Jesus, what does he say? John 1, verse 29, he says, the next day he saw Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Verse 32, and John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. John the Baptist, the great The famous John the Baptist. Jesus is the Son of God. John the Baptist says that Jesus is God. So Jesus calls his next witness. The Pharisees are stunned. He says, The testimony I have is even greater for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. The very works that I'm doing. Bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. All throughout John, miracles occur. Crazy things are happening. Water is turned into wine. Dead people are raising up from the dead. Sick men are being healed. And Jesus says, It's all about me. It's all about me. I often think I've had a crap definition of miracles, a terrible definition of miracles. Because to me, they were always sort of like this. I have a really hard test coming up. I'm going to fail. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pass, and that's a miracle. It's raining. I don't want it to rain. I want to play football. Pray, miracle. Richmond's going to lose tomorrow. Pray, miracle. How will Sarah marry me? Pray, miracle. I'm married, so maybe they do work. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying miracles are miracles because they show people who is God. They show people who is God. That's the point and the purpose of miracles. If they didn't show people who was God, there wouldn't be miracles, regardless of the definition you want to go with. A lot of my friends, a lot of my friends are very conceited and I think in, uh, deep down they think they are God. <laughs> True. But the reason I know they're not is because they can't do miracles. Only God can do miracles. Jesus can do miracles and therefore Jesus is God. Jesus is God. God. Jesus calls his third witness, God the Father. The Father who has sent me has borne witness about me, his voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for if you do not believe the one, you do not believe the one whom he has sent. He's saying to the Pharisees, the people who had accused him, he's saying, Boys, if you actually talked to God, boys, if you'd actually listened. You'd know, because God tells you about me. God's telling you about me. All the works that I'm doing are because God has sent me, because God is my witness. (laughs) The fourth witness that he calls in the book of John are scriptures. This book itself. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. It's worth remembering at this stage that he's not talking to atheists. He's not talking to liberalists who don't believe in the Bible. He's not talking to just anyone. He's talking to the Bible-carrying fundamentalists who read this every single day. That's who he's talking to. And he says, boys, you may have your Bible studies, you may read the Word of God every day, but you don't because you haven't yet read me. All of this, every single page of this book, leads to me. Every single page of it. I was once given great advice for preaching. One line. You're not done preaching until you're preaching Jesus. And the same thing is true about this. You're not done reading the Bible until you're reading Jesus. Because from page one, from Genesis to the end of Revelation, this is a book about Jesus. Absolutely. Every page testifies to Him. Whether it's at the start of the Bible and the fall, when mankind shows that it is not worthy, that it is broken, that it is messed up, through all the heroes of the Bible, who even though they are good, even though they are godly, they are broken, they testify to us seeing something more. Jesus says, I am that more. I am the something bigger. I am the one that has been testified about. All of Scripture points to me. And if you knew that, then you'd know me. But you don't. Because you read this and it's just a book. All of Scripture testifies that Jesus is God. All of it. John 5 ends in silence. There's no rebuttal from the Pharisees. There's no final nail in the coffin of the defense. But if I may be so bold, I think there's a fifth witness to the fact that Jesus is God. The final witness that Jesus is God is the cross. Nothing has me more convinced that Jesus is God than the cross, that he died on the cross. Because it's at the cross you have to confront the question, is Jesus God? Because if Jesus isn't God, if what he said is false, then the cross is his biggest mistake. If Jesus isn't God, the cross shows him to be just a man. If Jesus isn't God, all his witnesses are false. Everything he's done is not true. If Jesus isn't God. But that's not the story that I've read. That's not the tale that I've heard preached. The one that I've heard testifies that Jesus is God... Because it tells of something that no one could ever do. A God-man, the God-man, sent from heaven taking the form of a body, taking an earthly body, getting up there on the cross and doing something I could never do. Jesus is God. That's what it comes down to. If Jesus isn't God, then all that we're doing here is worthless. It's false. It's misleading. If Jesus is God, though, this is the most important question you could ever ask yourself. The five witnesses of Jesus. John the Baptist, the most famous man in Jerusalem, says Jesus is God. The miracles that Jesus does says Jesus is God. God the Father says Jesus is God. The, the scriptures, the whole of the Bible, points to Jesus as God and the cross Claims Jesus as God. Is Jesus God? What do you say? You can't read this book. You can't read this chapter without confronting that question. You can't. If it's true, if Jesus is God, that has far reaching implications. Every part of my day should be about bringing him glory. I once had a university lecturer tell me about the time he got saved. And a uh, Catholic priest came to his school, notorious for giving the worst sermons, the worst talks, mumbling. And he heard one line. He said, the most important question is, what do you make of Jesus? what do you make of Jesus? Is he God or is he man? If Jesus is God, then that is an unnerving claim because the only response is to bow at his throne and worship. But if he isn't, this is all worthless. Have you made a decision yet? Have you made your mind up whether Jesus is God? Because if you haven't, then what are you doing here? Like, if you have, though, that is really, really important. We need to spend all of our lives bringing glory to him if Jesus is God. The scriptures, all of this points to the fact that Jesus is the Savior, that Jesus is the God, Jesus is the divine. But if he's not, this is all worthless. So maybe the question is, isn't, is Jesus God? But what would you do if he is? What would you do if all these witnesses are true? What would you do if everything that has just been talked about is true and Jesus is God? Would your life look any different? Would you pray more if Jesus was God? Would you read the Bible more? Would you tell people about him? Those are the questions I hope burns on your heart. I hope it burns. Because Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Amen. I'm just going to pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice of your Son. We thank you that you sent your Son into the world to save the world that even though he received opposition from every corner, from every opposition, every stage of life, that he had witnesses that bore the truth about you. We pray that we can take on board what these witnesses say and treat your son as if he is God because he is. We pray that all this subjective truth, that you can believe whatever you want, believe that we can reject that as a lie. And that we can embrace the exclusive truth of Jesus Christ. That you sent your Son into the world to save the world. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life and will not perish. Amen. You've been listening to the Anglican Church Caroline Springs Podcast. For more information, go to taccs.org.au